0: Hi everybody, welcome back to Thomas My dad is coming back on really soon. But first I want to tell you a story. Once upon a time there was a little boy walking down the street. He saw a man who was trapped on a tree with rope. On the top of the tree it said... No person's allowed to go near. To be continued next episode. And here's my dad for Tomversation. Bye. Welcome to <laughs> Tomversation. I'm Tommy Jacket. And today joining me is Josh Reed jones He's the founder of the Just Be Nice project, which exists to secure housing, employment and good mental health for those experiencing disadvantage. And I mean, that is that is being nice. I think that qualifies him. Josh, welcome to the show, dude. Mate, I'm on the edge of my seat now, waiting to hear what
1: happens at this tree.
0: Uh, mate, you'll have to tune in next episode. <laughs> I mean, I almost have to wrap up my podcast and just go full-time uh, doing my sons. Absolutely.
1: So. Yeah, he's got all the good yarns, so I'm sure it'll do very, very well. Thank you for having
0: mate, me. Mate, thank you for being here. I, um, I discovered you on Instagram, I mean, it's kind of like Tinder. You swipe, 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 and you finally find a piece of gold. And I feel like I'm not on Tinder, so it's like a reference that I can't actually connect with. But I thought it might be like that. And I found one of your videos where I thought, Dude, this is a guy who can communicate something tricky uh, in a really clear and concise manner. And I think uh, that's what you do with your PSAs. You're covering things like... Uh, mental health statistics, the pandemic, small business advocates. But um, I guess, I mean, you've got a great backstory, which I'm actually going to hook in another podcast um, that that you were on. It's called Behind the Uniform, hosted oh, yeah. by Izzy and Hugo. But your story, like I was like, I can't do a, as good a job of getting your story out of you. So I really urge you to listen to Behind the Uniform. But it's kind of why I wanted to get you on to actually just your thoughts just chat to you about some topics because i think you do have a clear concise and thought out way it's almost the opposite of me dude
1: so uh yeah welcome <laughs> oh mate thanks now nah, look uh, i'm always i'm always up for a yarn and uh, as anyone who knows me or has seen me on the internet it's not that hard to work out i don't mind a good chat so uh, always a pleasure to meet to meet and uh, meet good people and and uh, get a chance to chat about hopefully some important interesting and you know maybe enjoyable things as well
0: yeah um I mean, I kind of haven't done your business justice. It's almost like I feel the trickiness of what you do, because it is uh, intellectual, it is a lot of thought that goes into... Stuff where you are needing to communicate. I mean, this could be a nightmare for you at a barbecue with your grandparents or your, you know your family trying to communicate what you do. So, Josh, what do you do, mate?
1: Yeah, it's, look, <laughs> it's, it's 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 a great question, and and uh, I suppose the thing I always prefixes it with is that we have a really terrible elevator pitch, and and um and that's unfortunately just. A byproduct of trying to solve, uh, I suppose, sophisticated problems in, in, in a complete way, and yeah. uh, and and even I, I had a meeting today, and uh, we were talking about sort of the sim the, uh, people want simple things and that sort of saying that if you can't get it out simply then you obviously don't know it well enough and and that works in some circumstances for sure but I was my sort of counter to that was the simplest thing you can say is no so someone mm. says this is really good. And someone else goes, no, it isn't. That's the end of the conversation. It's obviously very simple, but we haven't got to the end of it. So we we sort of started from the premise that uh, the problem we've been trying to solve is that people should get the help that they need when they need it for as long as they need it, regardless of how they come to need help. And, To do that, we have to obviously have an outcome that we work towards, which is that people are housed, employed, and have good mental health outcomes, and we want that for for everybody. And in communities, it's about removing barriers to housing, employment, and good mental health outcomes. So on an individual level, working with people until they get those outcomes, and at a community level, removing barriers to those outcomes. And the way we do that is basically, or the way we're resourced, which is also the the sort of follow-up question a lot of people ask, is that organisations or individuals go, we want to do some good, or we want to do good better, or we want to look after people, whether it's our own people or, or, or people in the broader community. How do we do that? We're not really mm. sure. And so, or, or we're not sure how to do it better. And we go in, audit them, identify resources and things that make sense, mm. and we try and integrate them into their day to day business. So it's not so transactional that it's more long term transformational kind of stuff that it syncs up with the things that they're good at and the things they're trying to do as an individual or an organization but it gives us access to really high quality um, intervention assistance or, or support uh, which obviously raises the quality of support for for people and communities in need and so through all of that obviously there's a, a bunch of other complexity and and you know there's more detail and I could chat you off for, for years about mm-hmm. it but that's sort of in a nutshell how it goes we're the best yep. place to help people help people so if you want to do good better that's that's what we try and do
0: yeah do you think there's a conflict in say you know it could be creating something short it needs to be short it needs to be clear but it is a complex topic like that is yin and yang that's there is conflict there Mm. do you think you can strive for doing good uh doing better in an organization and also be trying to profit from whatever you're doing. Like, I'll give you a quick example. I've got a video production company Mm -hmm. and I had a meeting with a brand once that were launching some skincare products and they wanted to attach themselves to the masculinity debate or uh, conversation. Mm -hmm. And in my mind, it just felt off. It felt like I I understand that your product is something for males, but it is like an agenda-driven... Uh, approach to, yeah, we want to do, we want to help men, but and and
1: reshape the conversation. But we also want to make some cash.
0: Yeah, we want to make some coin. Yep.
1: Yeah, Gillette did that years ago. I did yep. a video on it. I remember. I can't remember what the ad was, but it was about something to do with their razors. And I, I did a video on it. I remember several years ago. Um, yeah. Look, I think that um, I think it's possible. Yep. Um, there's. Uh, there's obviously ways to game it. And I think that the simpler things are, the easier it is to game. And I guess the the way that I'd I'd try and explain that is let's say touch wood, I got very, very sick and I had, you know, I had a cancer of some description. And then we've got Peter Mack going, all right, well. Maybe not we can cure your cancer, but we can do our best to cure your cancer. It's a very simple proposition. Anyone who's been through any kind of medical procedure knows obviously there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot of expertise. There's billions of dollars of infrastructure. There's nurses and doctors and and pharmaceutical uh, sort of companies and drugs and all of these things that come together to try and fix your cancer. So the simple proposition is we'll do our best to try and fix your cancer and we'll, you know, fix your cancer. But then we've got... The barrier to entry to to claim that is incredibly low because we're going to fix your cancer is is very simple proposition so you've got like a crystal healer somewhere else going we'll fix your cancer Mm. there's no differentiation there there's no nuance there's no sophistication there's there's no barrier to entry to someone just saying that and sure if you ask a few questions when they say oh we're just going to lay you in this field and, and, and pop a crystal on your head and that'll do it. And you go, I don't know, what's the success rate like? Oh, we don't have information on that or whatever. But it's that questioning is is adding complexity to the to the proposition. The simpler the proposition, the easier it is for anyone to make it. And when we're talking about outcomes for human beings, not just selling widgets, it's incredibly important that we don't just go, oh, yeah, okay, fair enough because there's a million people making the same claim, but they're not all doing the same thing. They don't all have the same level of success. They don't all understand in the same way. They don't all have the same expertise, etc., etc. And so it's hard when we're so used to just a short attention span and picking things up in little bites because we're also blind to the ways that that is used to manipulate what we're doing. And mm. so adding a logo onto a packet of you know, moisturiser or something and saying, oh, for this six-month period, we decided to give some amount of money to some thing. I mean, that doesn't really speak to how effective that was as an impact. It doesn't speak to how much they actually care. It doesn't mean that the place they're giving the money to is any good. And it doesn't mean that, that anything that they wanted to happen actually happened. And part of my job is to try and avoid uh, avoid that manipulation Um, which is not always done in bad faith. It's sometimes done with good intentions. But to improve it so that the people and communities that benefit are the ones that actually need help instead of just... It's very easy to pay lip service. So we try and make it so that if you're prepared to pay lip service and put some effort behind it, might as well do something good with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, having a connection to a cause uh, speaks volumes for the person that is within the, you know, activity or whatever it is that they're doing to to do good. It's, you know, I think about myself and what what causes I, that really sort of ring true to me. Mm-hmm. And if I just think about what annoys me, it's people littering. But it, like that's sort of, <laughs> it can sound unempathetic to, to look at the other stuff and go, well, I'm not actually donating to all these other things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure, we might get, um, you know, the home lottery, which my wife gets... And that is doing good in some respects, but you know, like I think, if you do the audit, which you guys do as a business, you come in and work with individuals and organisations to do a bit of an audit on what you could do better. Mm. I mean, let's can you just do a bit of an
1: audit on me right now, Josh? Like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. I mean, the first thing is, and this is one of the key challenges, and it's and it it runs contrary to the messaging that we get a lot in public, but we wouldn't go cause first. Um, you can care about all kinds of stuff without having, without it being your best opportunity for good impact, you know? Um, and so the example I always give for that is to say like, we've met on Instagram slash Tindergram and yeah, yeah, you've yeah. said, oh, it is great. And I said, oh, Tom, he's a handsome bloke, whatever. Well, yeah, yeah. I've never done this before, but we'll give this a go and I'll, I'll take you out. I've got tickets to a concert and I've, Yo-Yo Ma is in town. And if you don't know who Yo-Yo Ma is, he's a, he's a cellist from uh, the States and a prodigious talent. and Listening to him play the cello is, is amazing. You, we go to this concert, and you've never heard a cello played like that before. It touches you in an emotional way. You really feel it. It opens your eyes to a whole new possibility of, of music and, and you know the possibility of what, a, what this four-string instrument can do. And we leave, and you go, wow, I didn't know about that. I'm really passionate about the cello. And I go, that's great, man. I'm so glad we could have this experience. And then you go, so I'm going to start teaching the cello tomorrow. I'm like, wait, that's not how it works. You're not ready, you know. You're still a videographer. You still have the skill set that you had yesterday. Just because you've now observed another thing, watched a documentary, seen a homeless person, had an emotional connection to a story, doesn't mean that you are now best placed to do that thing. If you care about it, which is wonderful, and I hope that you do care about it, now's the time to start learning. And if you want to teach the cello, they might be 20 years down the track before you're good enough to teach the cello. Not only that, the better you are at the cello, the more people you're able to teach. Yo-Yo Mark can teach anybody because he's like a 10 out of 10 on the cello. That's as good as you can get. So he can teach 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9s. He can, he can participate in helping other 10s learn. When you're a 1, you can help. You can teach zeros. You're still borderline useless. So what we start with is like, what are you good at? What are you doing every day? What can we do that's like a low touch point um, so that we're not putting this enormous burden on your life that will inevitably burn you out because if your son gets sick you've got to take care of him if something happens to your family you've got to go do that if your business is suffering and you can't pay your bills you're not usually still making time for some onerous excursion twice a week to go quote-unquote do some good if it's not related to the things that you need to do every day to survive yourself or develop yourself so our first step is all of that stuff. It's like, what are you good at? What are you doing every day? Where do you live? You know, blah, blah, blah. And of course, we take into account the fact you don't like littering and there's a sustainability piece in there and all that, which is great, which means that when we find things relevant to your skill set that also line up with that, we know you're a good fit and we know you care. But also, there's other things that you can do. And we might need you to document other, other kinds of stories because that's part of your skill set. And in that process, you'll probably get exposed to some other things that you may or may not care about, but you will be doing stuff that you're very good at. And I don't have cellists doing videography, and I don't have videographers trying to teach people instruments to play that they don't know how to play themselves. And that way, we're always advocating for the best quality of intervention for the people that need help as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you just go to YouTube, you will find a videographer trying to teach cello, sell a yeah. you know ten session course for one ninety nine on uh, some yeah. kind of platform. Join my
1: masterclass. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it's so. How much conflict do you have, or do you see within people that are like, "Well, I don't actually like that shit," mm. and but I want to do this to be good to to do good, which is self serving. When I if I want to go and pick up rubbish like that is connecting to what I mm-hmm. am passionate, about, or not passionate about, but it definitely has an emotive response in me. Yep. Um, do, how much of that do you see within businesses? Because I guess it becomes different when you're dealing with an organization. You don't have just Tommy at the front who's, you know, kicking up a stink about littering. Uh, you have to factor in people, a culture, and lots of different belief systems mm. and stories that people are telling themselves. How do you tackle that?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Um, but the short answer is, is no. It's that we've learned uh, over time there is, a, there is a structure that has damaged what we call people's impact literacy. So your ability to know what a good impact is, what it looks like, how to have one, how to do it. And I can run you through the sort of steps on that. But the reason why it's not a huge issue in that sense is that when you connect people to impact through what they're good at, and they can have a a process that's focused more on consistency rather than just intensity. You're teaching people and they're being exposed to and experiencing this new way of doing good that's very different to what they've been told doing good looks like. And yeah, yeah. so you've got an accountant who has never been told, there's always been told, just give us some money, piss off, give us some money, go to a soup kitchen, pick up some rubbish. And, and the guy's like, I manage a fund of like, 300 million dollars i'm a cpa i've got 20 years of experience i went to uni for eight years and you're telling me the best thing that i can do is go to a soup kitchen and put soup in a cup or go and pick up some rubbish like i my hourly rate is 1500 dollars. that's the best i can do you know i could pay. from my point of view we go it's ridiculous you're highly skilled those skills are valuable we need financial assessments we need advice in these things we need modeling done even if you were just to give the day up and give us the $1,500 we could pay someone for two weeks to work at the soup kitchen, you know? And because people haven't been connected to that, they don't know that that's possible. They don't know what it feels like. But once you start doing that work, all of a sudden, it justifies the 20 years of investment in learning those skills because you realize, oh, shit, actually, I can do this job because of the 20 years. And it adds meaning to your life the last 20 years, not just from today. And you go, great that's really wonderful. I don't have this crisis of purpose now about my skill set or about what I do every day because I only know what I know because I put the 20 years in. Whereas when you do these lowest common denominator things, anyone can do them. And what's the point of trying so hard in everything else if at the end someone goes, well, the best thing you can do is mop this floor. And you go, like, mate, I could have mopped the floor when I was 12. What what, what have I done mm. the last 30 years? You know, is is that all useless? But on top of that, When you advocate for those kinds of lowest common denominator interventions, you are also telling people that those in need should be happy with whatever help they get, regardless of whether it's the best thing or not. You should be happy that accountants painted your house. And we shouldn't be advocating that the best possible painters that we can get paint your house because they're the best at it and you'll get the best job. They go, you should just be happy that anyone did it. And that as well sets this kind of double tier of impact where we're always advocating either explicitly or implicitly for a lower standard of help for people in need because they should just be happy with what they get. And so we're actively working against that as well. I want the best videographer to document this stuff because I don't want, I want the best standard of assistance and, and storytelling to communicate the needs and, and, and uh, effects of whatever's going on in this community. They shouldn't just be happy that we've just got some other dude who has got an iPhone and just gone, oh yeah, I'll do that. And they should just be mm. stoked that someone's doing it.
0: Yeah. I mean, what, what do you think uh, is almost the unsaid thing from people? I don't know, like myself that I don't necessarily actively, you know, I'm not out in the community doing good. You know, there is, could be the reasons I deliver to you, but from your work with a bunch of people, what do you see between the
1: lines? Mm uh i mean that's it's a great question there's first of all there's people overly focus on huge problems that are miles beyond their control a lot of the time yeah um and so the conversations t- trend towards big when in reality most people have an outstanding impact by just looking after the people that are next to them but we don't value yeah in part in conversation we don't value those things we value sort of big announcements and Big goals, and even if we yep. fall short, whatever, people are just happy to make those announcements. So I think we discount the value of just looking after the people next to you. People look past mm. the people next to them all the time. Oh, we're gonna—I want to have this huge whatever mental health impact. This happens a lot because it's in the <laughs> it's in the paper a lot. And it's like just be a good friend of the ten people you know. <laughs> yes. Show show up for them, and you're doing more than. Making a post that's telling the whole world, you know, something. Like, if you're not looking after the people next to you, none of that stuff matters. Um, and we don't probably we don't probably value that enough. We don't emphasize that enough. So, I think that's a big one. Uh, and then it's that poor impact literacy. People just don't know mm. what good impact looks like. They don't know how to do it. And that's a symptom of the way that charities basically have been advertising since sort of television and stuff. And the format is this always – Here's a huge stat. Here's a picture or or a, or a video. Here's a intervention thing that we do. Uh, here's all you need to do and change someone's life forever. One in five, two hundred thousand, whatever, blah, blah blah. Sick kid in the hospital. Uh, homeless guy on the under the bridge. Uh, kid running around in the desert. We do this thing. We give them a T-shirt. We wash their clothes. Uh, we give them a party. Whatever, you only have to give us five bucks, a dollar a day, paint a nail, grow a mustache, and you change someone's life forever. That's what they all, they all do that. And what they teach people is there's a worse problem. You can tell by looking at someone. There's a best solution. It's ours. It's cheap, easy, quick, and usually there's only one thing. And through that cheap, easy, quick, one thing, you can change someone's life forever. And none of that is true. And that's the message that we've just seen repeated over and over and over and over again, in advertising and in collateral and in messaging from almost every organisation. And so people think you can tell by looking at someone that there's a worse problem. So people are cause battling all the time that a dollar a day sort sorted out or five bucks or painting a nail or doing a thing. And it's not true. there is no worst mm. problem. People have a whole variety of problems. There's no single best intervention. Most people need a whole range of interventions over a long period of time. Changing someone's life forever is incredibly difficult, it requires a huge amount of skill or trust or resources. And if we don't teach people that, then of course they go, "Oh well, I did the thing. you know, I can't understand why everyone's still in a bad way. you know I did what I was supposed yeah. to do. Yeah. So because of that, that, people don't know how to engage with, with yeah. issues, I guess.
0: There was, and I'll probably get it wrong, but there was a charity that was set up to install wells or, you know, like these uh, human-operated so the kids could jump on them. Oh, yeah, the playgrounds. Merry-go-rounds that would be a well as well. Uh, They stuffed it. People didn't want to use them. They got all this investment. And I understand, like, the collateral they could have created from a marketing perspective is kids in these countries where they've got these, you know, play, play sets and also you're drinking. And it's like, yeah. it just shows you how easily manipulated. And I don't even think if it, it's a fault of our own, it's a product of our culture yeah, <laughs> that it, that
1: is generating that. That's that simplicity, you know. You've got a merry-go-round that looks like it pumps water and everyone goes, oh, I get that instantly, so it must be good. The the, the auxiliary effect of the way that we market impacts previously well actually i mean everyone still does it so but the way that i've been always advocating against is also always telling people like yourself you get it you know this is important you know this is a good intervention that's why you're going to give us money support a reshare a like whatever if you didn't think that why would you give us the money and if we don't tell you that you're clever for doing this or that this is the best thing why would you go to us instead of go to somewhere else so people now think that they get it they're like oh i get it if it's helping people i get it And it's like dude you're an accountant like you know about accounting mm. you don't the, helping people is a skill it is a skill that is at least as complicated as being a cardiothoracic surgeon and if you don't know that then you don't know about helping people so these things get in the way of people understanding. They look at something that they get that makes sense. And again, that common denominator, lowest common denominator kind of advertising and messaging and teaching. It teaches people that stuff. And so, yeah, they make bad decisions, but it's a product of poor impact literacy as much as it is uh, sort of an emphasis on simplicity because the people who designed that pump that works on the merry-go-round they grew up and were lear- and learned and developed their ideas inside that system mm. f- as people who have no idea themselves, yeah. and so they're not—they didn't do it to like make millions of dollars and rip everyone off. They just don't know what they're doing, and that's true of like a million different places all over the world and a million different interventions where there's some people just taking the piss for sure, and then some people who are well-meaning but just have no idea.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm fascinated from a human psychology perspective of my ability to give money at a intersection to a bloke washing my windows and feeling like I'm giving more impact than if I set up a direct debit to something like malaria nets for third world countries, mm-hmm. which would have far greater impact, but I probably wouldn't feel it. And so that just that, that reality, uh, I don't even know where I... I haven't taken it further than that, right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've you've explored that sort of the psychology behind doing good. What have you What have you sort of explored and experienced
1: over over your time? Yeah, I think that's a really um, interesting point because when you have that um, transactional relationship with you know doing good or impact, uh, yeah, it's nice to see the thing, I guess. And 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 there's a lot of people who would say, "Oh, I need to see the impact or whatever," um, but again, that's part of that marketing setup you know see see the thing i need to see it uh this there's a couple of million people in australia live below the poverty line that you can't tell by looking at them at all and they need significant amounts of help there's a lot of people that are just isolated and lonely and they just look like everybody else but they just don't interact with people or have support in their lives those people need help so in a transactional sense yeah people get caught up in in those kinds of measurements and there's a movement called effective altruism which is i often refer to it as sort of spreadsheet altruism where they are weighing up costs benefit against, you know, certain things.
0: The people might- involved in that are very nerdy to some degree. Yeah. The, I, the Sam Bankman-Fried, who, yep. which I just, just a side tangent, decided that he wanted to find a career that could make the most amount of money to give it away. Yeah. And he becomes the youngest self-made Bitcoin billionaire, which is crazy in my mind that he set out to do something like that. And it happens, right? Yeah. Sorry, sorry for the no, no, yeah, but, but that's is-
1: that's true, yeah, and it's because it's 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 a it's a spreadsheet analysis, but there's no yeah. one of the failings of that. There, there are certainly there is positive positive elements to trying to do the best with the money that you're spending, a hundred percent. But where that misses the mark in a lot of ways is that it it takes out a lot of the human element of what it means to have you know good lives for people. It's basically just trying to alleviate suffer like alleviate suffering to the point where you're just alive but it doesn't it's not advocating for play and friendship and connection and you know family and friends and all that stuff it's just saying we just don't want you to die unnecessarily early and that's kind of the metric against which we measure all the dollar impacts yeah. you know which you know there's merit to that but it's not it's not a complete solution because it it, it leaves out too much about what being human is um but when you in when you engage with something like JBN and you're doing what you do every day, and then meaning is being brought into it because you're being exposed through consistency to things, you don't have that issue. You're you're a part of the process. You're a part of the doing good all the time, and some of that you'll get right away, and some of it is a learning process, which of course takes time um, and regular engagement, and that's okay because sometimes I'm working with people that are, you know, in their late. 70s or whatever and yeah there's things they don't understand and it's going to take them a while so we've got to have that patience built in we've got people who don't understand the challenges of lots of different communities and they might need to be exposed to it at a semi-regular basis for five to ten years before they go oh i thought all those people were lazy or stupid or they didn't Mm -hmm. care or they were mean and they're not they're great i now have worked with so many of them or been exposed to them or engaged with them that I know they're not, and now my attitude has changed about it. And mm. in that sense, you don't have that issue because you're always relating it back to things that make sense for them and what they're doing every day, which is for most people, uh, you know, largely their, their work, their career, um, and the things that they're good at. And by doing that, you take away a lot of that. Where's the best place to put these two bucks? Because then you just, if you're just contributing money to something you're already doing regularly, it makes it a lot easier, yeah. um, and and keep keeps you engaged, it makes it more meaningful.
0: Do you think there's a unnecessary scepticism towards organisations striving
1: to do good? Uh, I mean, organisations are made up of people, you know, and the people in them to varying degrees want to f- want feelings of contribution, um, and I think that's true for pretty much everyone. Are there people who don't see the benefit in helping certain cohorts or have no interest in helping certain cohorts of people, um, absolutely, yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of that is just uh, through sort of ignorance and, and through an inability to understand the challenges of those particular communities um, or an inability to see where they could make a contribution. Sometimes people just think the problem's too big and so they just don't want to engage with it and they want to do something, something else. So there are definitely people who don't care and I think it's incumbent on people like myself who, who work in the space to not just resign ourselves to the fact that some people don't care, but to engage in the process of enrolling them in caring as much as anything else. Because as far as I'm concerned, everyone deserves the opportunity to be housed, employed and have good mental health, to be looked after, have connection and community. And I don't really care what you look like. It's true of the people who don't care about other people who have lots of resources. It's true of the people who are down the other end of the resource chain and, and you know don't have uh, as much visibility or, or opportunity and so people are skeptical but i think ultimately everyone feels better when they're part of a good productive community they feel better when they're doing stuff they feel better when they can see the point of the of their skills and and they can see good application for them and they can see that they're making a difference and they can it, it, but it's about encouraging them to see it in different ways and to understand yeah. that like going to the gym once a year won't make you fit any more than going out for half a day of social impact is going to f- have any real impact go to the gym 30 minutes a day three times a week and you're going to you're going to have miles better results and it's the same with doing this stuff how do we put it how do we make it regular and yeah. in that process you learn and are exposed to other things and over time you, it changes the way people feel about that, and some people just don't care, but it's the in my experience it's the a real minority of people it's a very, very small number of people who actively don't give a shit about other people at all ever
0: yeah I've heard you chat about your your upbringing and um going without money uh <laughs> having a a childhood that you know wasn't full of everything but full of a lot, and you know y- you enjoyed it what's your relationship with money now as an adult coming from that perspective and with what you do and who you're around now? Yeah, it's interesting.
1: I mean, I i um, I suppose I've always, because I was concerned about money as a kid and, and we we struggled with it, that I wanted to make sure I wasn't, I was, that I was going to be in a position to be able to look after my mum when we got older and um, I didn't want to have to worry about it. I mean, I remember things like having to take a note into school to try and pay off like a twenty dollar day trip over the next six weeks or whatever, you know. And at the time you don't know you don't know anything about it. In my brain, twenty bucks was heaps and then you get older and you're like, Jesus, I've just spent $150 on a round of drinks, you know, like yeah. That's wild. It's like it was like we could we couldn't get shoes, we couldn't that's you know, it's crazy. And I remember I remember always thinking, well, I wanna make sure that the worst I can do i suppose financially is all right so i I set out to sort of safeguard against that and i did a trade while i was at uni as part of that process and i've always thought it's important to be good but i've also thought if you want to have a big impact you've got to be really good you know like yo yo Mars a 10 he can teach everyone like be the best at something because one person who's a 10 is more valuable than 100 ones like 100 ones can't have those insights they can't teach people they can't train. So be a 10, aim for a 10. It is, you know, whenever you do something, grab it and do really well. And then because my, um, my old man was a bit of a shit talker, but like one of those shit talkers with a lot of potential, I was always hesitant to want to be one of those people. I was like, oh, I could do that if I wanted or I could do that. But it's hard to have an objective measure of you being good at something. And I just always went, well, if, if I'm a professional at it, if people will pay me to do it, I must be pretty good at it, least good enough to get paid. And so that was always my measure, you know, I just went, well, I'll do something until I can get paid to do it. And then I'll consider that I'm reasonable at it. And so that probably came a bit from, from, you know, the challenges of of our upbringing as well. But now, I mean, I think I want everyone to just have the ability to have a bit of time and space in their lives, to be able to pay the bills without stressing too much about it, um, but not have to work 200 hours a week I'm not, I'm not all about the unfettered accumulation of cash. I don't know why we have tax policies that allow people to just accumulate billions of dollars. I just don't think it's, it's necessary when, when there are people who, who uh, you know languishing on the other end of the scale. Um, I'm not obsessed with money, but I understand the value of it. I understand how important it is, but the importance of money changes. When you've got none, it's incredibly important, and when you've got heaps, it's way less important. It, as much as you might think, people who've got lots think, "Oh, we need more." You don't. You know, you don't need more. It's not, it, there's been enough studies done, even empirically, that say, what well, over a certain amount, things that make a difference then are like connection and community and and uh, you know friendships and ability to contribute and all that kind of stuff." So for me, I think it's important um, to to have enough money to be able to pay the rent, do those things. But I've I have for the last ten years put everything back into my work. So I don't sit mm-hmm. on a big nest egg or anything like that. I've been it's always just gone back into work and yeah. that's been my life for a very long time. So I stress about it like anybody else. Some some months are lean, sometimes you're just eating baked beans and some months are yeah. good and you you put some aside for a rainy day and you do all that. Um, but yeah, mostly I just want people to be comfortable and not stressed about it because I know economic stress or financial stress is one of the great mm. barriers to happiness for people, for sure.
0: What, what was your view on the government spending as much money as they have on something like the pandemic? And you see, you hear the tragic cases of, you know, buying, I think the New South Wales government bought masks that couldn't be used and they spent 50 million bucks, like crazy money. Mm. Who even knew that the that kind of money was sitting around. I mean, you hear about budgets and you hear about surplus and all this shit, but it doesn't connect until you're experiencing uh, no work for two years like we have.
1: Yeah, I I would have hoped that during the pandemic that was a great chance to reset people's expectations. We have a low debt to GDP ratio here in Australia compared to a lot of other developed countries. Um, And our sort of fiscal and monetary policy from the current current federal government I think has been a bit too slow largely in part I think that the I mean when they increased job seeker which was essentially increasing the dole um but they increased it because it's the current the current uh, welfare assistance is so far below living cost cost of living that it's it just keeps people in poverty it's a horrible situation to leave people in so they, they brought up that alone, that move alone brought up brought about half a million people out of poverty just by increasing that, like on the day that they do that. And then they've pulled it back again. And I think that's I think how do you leave people behind like that? Meanwhile, there's been eighteen billion dollars worth of job keeper going to businesses that didn't need it. They had they had quarterly increase in earnings through the pandemic. That would fund that increase for a number of years. So it's not a dollar thing. It's a it's a the money's there. You can always get the money. That's it's it, people are like oh, who's paying for it? But we spend a fortune on we spend a fortune all the time on on negative gearing costs us about oh, something like eleven billion dollars a year. Um, franking credits cost us like ten billion dollars a year. All of these things they cost us a lot of money. We subsidize things every day, and we make decisions in policy about it. I believe in subsidizing people who are in need. You know, not propping up mm. a, the never-ending expanse of a, a housing market that is now so far beyond the reach of most people that it's embarrassing We, in an environment where interest rates can now only possibly go up from where they are, which is going to put additional pressure on regular families. So, you know, for me, I think pay people a living wage. I think get better childcare. I think improve education uh, across the board. Invest in hospitals. Invest in those things that are proven uh, to... Uh, not only just help people, but they also boost economies. They they do a good job, and the will of the federal government currently is is certainly not in that direction. So I think we could do much 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 better than we do.
0: What do you think about universal basic income as a premise?
1: Yeah, I have um, I have a couple of. I think in in some ways, uh, it's it's positive. There's some there's some positive elements to to UBI. Um, there are challenges in that it's quite uh, OECD-centric in its ability to work well. The, the, it doesn't scale across every country and it doesn't encourage collaboration on a global level. It, encor- it encourages a kind of insular way of looking after people by having to adjust to the living costs of just that country. The, the, I guess the policy or the proposition that I've made uh, in my work, has been a universal basic outcome where we advocate for certain uh, levels of amenity for people which can be uh, w- which can be done glo- on a global level. And so we're not just advocating for people in Australia to have a certain level of basic income, which then obviously everyone would get, but also to to say like, well, what about what about people in Chile? What about people in Tanzania? What about people, you know in Tibet? what we should be advocating for is you know is clean water and, and and the highest possible levels of education and and access to the internet and 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 resources and power and we need to feed everybody and we need people to have places to live those projects they're large projects that if you all came together to across the world to try and solve we could come up with really great innovative solutions that aren't just how do we just put money in the hands of people and it would matter less if we guaranteed everyone their daily caloric intake somewhere to live powers on internet access and just said "Righto, guys now if you if your whole job is just to create you will not go hungry you will not be homeless if your job is just to look after your family they will have the same access to education as anybody else and you don't have to do anything mm-hmm. except just be someone in the community who looks after people and people would do it and i think that for me has always been a more compelling argument because one of the challenges with ubi that i've never seen addressed and i've read plenty of literature on it is If we give everyone a thousand bucks, how do we not have the price of bread just go up uniformly as well because everyone's got extra money without then having to interfere in the free market, which would cause an uproar about like, well, we've got to fix petrol prices, we've got to fix milk and bread and rent and all this stuff to make sure that this UBI doesn't get sucked up into the economy just by an inflationary pressure on prices. And no one's been able to satisfactorily answer that for me. Whereas if we just said "Everyone everyone gets somewhere to live, your calories are going to be met well that's a challenge we could all come together around that incorporates important aspects of uh climate change and sustainability and community all at once and I think for me that's the policy uh, the policy and and sort of interventions that I've always worked on in that space have always been around universal basic outcome which you know uh, uh, is a it, that was developed here it was developed by me at jbn that it's yeah. not a thing anywhere else at the moment <laughs>
0: I mean, what's what's your driver? I mean, if you look at some people, they they might assume that their driver is money, or they want to accumulate, you know. But you can always sort of layer back to really see what is making someone someone tick. Um, I mean, I, I look at universal basic income, and if there wasn't awareness in the in the individual that you're giving the money to, it's it could be a catastrophe, right? It's like extra money. Look at what happened with that superannuation drawing out in COVID time 10,000 you know one month 10,000 the next and majority of that money went to gambling and alcohol, drugs and alcohol which is I mean what's it, what's it say uh, it's not specifically about the individual but it's about the culture and, and what, what's ingrained here in Australia for you as a what, what do you identify as your driver for what you do
1: yeah oh, it's um, I don't, I don't think that i'm i'm not divorced from the work that i do it's all the same it's all the same thing like i i I don't feel in a weird way i feel like i have a choice i feel like um when when you have these you have these big problems but I i feel like i've got answers to them if i wasn't doing it then no one's doing it and it's not that's not fair that's not I couldn't sleep at night, and if somewhere else was doing these things, I, I would be tempted to go and work there for sure. But with it, when that's not the case, because I mean, I'd love financial security and consistency and all that stuff as much as anybody else, you know. But I have always just been shocked that people aren't getting that help. I think they deserve it, and I think that um, I for me, it's not it's not different. My work and and who I am and all of those things are all the same i don't there's no delineation for me and there was no epiphanous moment where i went oh that's the thing i've got to do i think it's a combination of of all my experiences in in life and but my driver for me is that i believe that it's possible and i believe that people deserve it and so i just think no one should be left behind and and no one should be left alone and if I've got some answers and I feel like I can contribute significantly in that way to do anything else, to just, you know, what, have a few extra bucks, have a nicer car, whatever, yuck. You know, that's just not what I care about more than I care about this. You know, if it happened along the way, great, fantastic. But I want anyone to look at me and go, whatever whatever you manage to have, whatever nice time or nice thing you get in the future, you only got it off the back of uplifting other people that was it there's no other way to do it that's the only way you could mm. have done it and for me i can sleep at night if that's the case you know but i couldn't just dump it and, and go do something else I, it's it's hard to explain when when um when it just feels like there's not there's not an option and people go but there is and you go well kind of but there isn't if i want to sleep yeah. at night <laughs> yeah
0: i mean it's um i mean how many stories of in air quotes successful people you hear that have made the money, and then they stop whatever they are doing to make the money to then try and just live a better life. But they've got the resources behind them now yeah. to spend that time bettering themselves, and it's and that is a level of awareness because I don't know if you could be um in it and have that headspace of fuck, look what I'm actually doing. This is horrible, but I'm making coin. Like there's there's an override of your ego that is. Just pushing a lot of that stuff out of the way, and your reality is so different to the to this this one. I guess that you're you're a part of. It's um, yeah, I, f- I always find that fascinating. It's like a crucible moment for somebody.
1: Yeah, people people have. A, uh, I just read a book by David Brooks called The Second Mountain, where he says you kind of climb one, and then they have a crisis, and they climb another one. And some <laughs> people, it happens real early, and for me, obviously, very early. But when I was younger, and I you know maybe in my early twenties. I always thought I'm going to do I'm going to I'm going to go big. I'm going to have all this success. And I'm going to do it the I'm going to do it the right way by not screwing people over, by bringing people along. I'm going to do that. And that has proven to be so incredibly difficult. It, if you want to make money, rip people off, do stuff that's shit for the environment, yeah. trample people, take the piss, rip people off. It is, it is much easier. All this stuff like, oh, you know, if, if you just have empathy, if you do the right thing, that's that's to make money, that is absolutely not the answer. If it was, every company would do it. If, it. if it actually was the way to make money, if it was the way to secure a future, everyone would do it. They don't because it's not. And it's not for a variety of reasons, but one thing that I... Uh, you know, only just as we're talking about it now, reflecting, go, yeah, I remember thinking that back then that that's I'm going to do it the right way, and okay. now I just sort of now, but now I don't know the difference. Now it doesn't it doesn't feel any different? Yeah. But it is not the way to, to have a secure. It's a, it is the the hardest, you know, potentially if you were doing a a risk benefit analysis, the stupidest thing yeah. to do.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is I was thinking about being a piece of shit is actually quite easy yeah you know it's it is the appeal think about uh, relationships and someone cheating on the partner. it's um you know moment it's impulse, it's drunk, it's easy versus being a good person to your partner showing up every day, having a loving relationship, putting in the effort. but the reward back is tenfold of that you know being a piece of shit <laughs> as yeah. i've coined here at um, top conversation yeah. you know what
1: i mean <laughs> oh man i always look like, it's also difficult because the the balance of 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 uh impact is in like the amount of impact you can have if you want to be in, if you want to be bad you can have such an an inordinate amount of negative impact on someone that can't yeah. be undone by one person like if If we were at a party and it just only takes one person to walk around and smash a bunch of stuff, (laughs) scream at everybody, punch a dude, and then walk out, and they've ruined a party of 200 people. And if you're the person who's been punched or you're the person whose house has been smashed, even if those 200 people express their concern, it's not undone. You carry that around for ages. It takes ages. One horrible person... Can have such a huge negative impact on someone that can't necessarily be undone by one nice person. So we are always kind of in a bit of a losing battle. You're always the little, you're always the David against the Goliath. The Goliath, it's just so easy to steamroll. If you don't care and you can say whatever you want and do whatever you want, yeah, of course, you can, you can, you just keep moving forward. You never need to look back. You never look in your rear vision mirror. You don't care about anybody else. You can have such an inordinate negative impact on people, but to have that same level of positive impact, man, that's that's really difficult. It takes a long, long time and lots of people, lots of effort. And so, if you feel like I just want to move quick in any direction, yeah, be be a shit bloke. It's easy. It's bloody so easy. Yeah.
0: Why do you think that is? Why do you think? And I guess you could look at media and all of the you know news outlets that they dramatize everything and it's because it's playing into our psychology, right? But why do you think it is that way? What you do, you,
1: do you reckon? Like, why do you reckon it's so hard if someone's a real asshole to you? It's way easier to get... It takes way longer to get over than if someone says, Just you're a handsome, wonderful guy, Tom. You go, yeah, thanks. But this yeah. other guy he called me these other things and, you know, poked, yeah. the, poked a raw spot.
0: Well, it's, I mean, I've heard someone chat about negativity bias before. Yep. And it rears its head when you're talking about yourself. Uh, someone asks you what what you're good at and then you automatically go to what you're not great at. There's cultural influences. I mean, tall poppy syndrome in Australia. I mean, I, I, I had Seth Godin on my previous podcast and, and he doesn't seem to think it's as you know prevalent as what australians think tall poppy syndrome is about but he's american so maybe that is but he's a smart guy so i believe him believe whatever he says but it's yeah uh cultural influence um definitely uh, yeah definitely the energy that is created through negative emotion is so strong as much as it feels good when you're when you're doing good or good shit's happening it's the craziness about life is that you can find comfort in that emotion. Mm. You can... I remember sort of some breakups early days, you know, many, many years ago. But looking back, it's like, fuck, I kind of loved it, dude. Walking along Albert Park Beach and just listening to Drake, feeling a bit emotional. Getting a it bit was of like, um,
1: the script on. A dude, bit of break even.
0: <laughs> dude, but it's... But there's something... Not that I want that, but there is something when you're in it and it's a vibration and it ain't good, but it's but it but it's catchy and it mm. gets you so i think it's a, a mixture of that what do you think
1: yeah it sticks with you the the negative emotions they stick with you they make you wary in a way that positive emotions don't make you comfortable with the world you, you carry a wariness around after negative experiences that positive experiences don't necessarily shade all of your interactions afterwards in the way that negative negative experiences can um Something that I think doesn't get talked about enough is just the importance of trust just generally, how hard it is to get. So it's easy to break, but it's hard to get. But if you want to change someone's life, have a big impact, do these things, you need an extraordinary amount of trust. So to be able to lift people up a lot of the time, you need a lot of trust. But to be able to tear someone down, you can almost, you, for a lot of people, you can be a complete stranger and still have a really massive you know, negative impact on someone by having a go at, What might be a vulnerability for them i think also there's like a physical aspect to it where i don't know how many hugs you need to undo um like a violent assault because the violent assault will stick with you in in ways and change your chemistry in ways that a, a hug doesn't do that doesn't come with that intensity a lot of the time um and, you know, you certainly see that in sort of like people who have struggled with those, in those circumstances and, and live with that and carry it around every day. But also just the fact that it's just uh, the barriers to entry to being shit are so low. And it's the barriers to entry to have someone positively affect your life are quite high. So how many yeah. how many people are prepared to go through those hoops to lift you up? Not many. How many people are prepared to have a go at you for some reason? I mean, there's quite a few. Just drive around a little bit slowly and you'll get beat and called a dickhead just on the road tomorrow. <laughs> you know, <like>. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, there is definitely a mindfulness to being nice. And and I guess it's there shouldn't be guilt associated with if, if that is not your first instinct because I think like empathy, not everyone is empathetic and maybe it is needed to be a learnt trait within somebody. And and yeah, you're definitely one of the nice guys, dude. Because oh. um, even though you do drive a Lambo, which I saw you no no you yeah don't. that's right in the, in the Lambo,
1: <laughs> just throwing my rubbish out the window, just giving everyone the finger, and driving driving off. Look, I think yeah. I think being nice is a, is in a destination. It's a north star. That's that's what it yeah. is. And if you're if you're paying enough attention to audit your behaviour against it, then you you're probably steps in front of someone who's not just by going oh i do it i go sometimes oh, that wasn't the nicest i've been i've been having some issues dealing with a company on the phone a million times and i was i was having a bad day the other day i was like guys i don't care just fix it i don't know what's going on in in stronger language than that and my mate uh oh, milsey he was he was like yeah that's a, you could have been better on the phone then mate and i was yeah. like I could have. I'm so angry. Like, I'm just, Yeah. ah. Uh, then, but then afterwards, I, and my first instinct was to be defensive and be like, yeah, well, blah, blah, blah. And then I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what? I could have. I could have. That's not great. Next time I talk to them, you know, I'll, I'll try and be better. I'll be mindful of it. And we all slip up. We all have our moments. We're all human. But if you're like trying to be better uh, properly, not just making excuses every time, then you're, you're you're doing better than people who don't even pay attention to that or care anyway. Just go through life like, the whole world happens to them and everyone else can just cop however they are, you know? Well, just be nice. I love
0: it. A North Star, uh, Josh Red Jones. Thanks for coming on the podcast, mate. I've got a heap of other stuff I wanted to talk to you about, but um, I want to get you back. Yeah, mate, anytime. Way.
1: My pleasure, absolutely. Good chatting with you, dude. Thanks, thanks for coming me. on the show. Cheers, mate. Bye. See you next week.